the incomparable podcast number 39 may 2011 we're back on the incomparable with another of our flash podcasts talking about the season of doctor who and tonight we are going to talk about the latest installment an episode called the doctor's wife by renowned writer of comics and novels and tv and movies and all sorts of other things um, you know, I don't know, songs, stage plays, poems. Comics. I said blog. comics. He said actually blog. has done he wrote, a, he wrote a lot of them, so we should say it twice. Yeah, exactly. Um, He's got, he, write, he has a Twitter feed. Neil, Neil Gaiman wrote this episode, The Doctor's Wife. And uh, so joining me today, as you may have heard, to talk about it, we have Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hello, Jason. Glenn Fleischman. Howdy-ho. And Scott McNulty. Hello. Hello. I enjoy how you say hello. Thank you. It's very exciting. Um, and very energetic, which I like. Enthusiasm is good. Uh, so The Doctor's Wife, this is perhaps in some ways the most hyped episode, single episode of Doctor Who in a, lo- it's in a long time. I mean, I think if you take the sort of regenerations and, and season premieres and things like that out of it, just as a run-of-the-mill standalone episode – Largely because it's Neil Gaiman, and he's got quite a following himself. Um, uh, but, you know, the fact is, no matter whose name is on the credits, it's still an episode of Doctor Who, and it's something that, that needs to be judged on its own merit. So I'm curious uh, what you guys what you guys thought. Were you – I mean, the hype was so huge that it's kind of – I felt on one level it was going to be really hard for this episode to live up to the hype. And it had a, a titillating title. Right. The Doctor's which Wife. Had – as it turns out, it was kind of a red herring in some ways. Uh, you know, I'd go further and say that I, I think I think it was a terrible title. I think that it was oh. a title that was chosen for marketing or, purposes, essentially right. for the British media to get all you know to titter about and go, "Oh, what does it mean?" and to lead people astray. And when well, I when I read that one of the other titles for it was bigger on the inside, I thought, "Well, that's <laughs> your title." Well, the original title apparently was "The House of Nothing." The House of which Nothing is also. Which is also pretty good, I thought. Yeah, it's it's not as, a good title. It's evocative. It's got something going on there. Yeah, although it, it, it didn't. I knew that going in when I watched the oh. episode. I thought that's not a great title for they it. They could have called it "Behind the Blue Door" as well. <laughs> that might have had some <laughs> connotation problems. Well, I don't know. Bigger on the inside. Bigger know, on the inside. I think that uh, would have been a that would have been it's a, a little. It's title. a little. It's a little flip. It's a little flip for them. Yeah, I, feel. I thought I, I mean, thought that's... basically Neil Gaiman wrote a two-part Christmas episode, and they managed to squeeze it into forty-two minutes or forty-eight minutes. Might have been better in a might have been better in a Christmas episode. Yeah, I think. I, didn't it have I mean, that not that it was bad. It? I, I don't mean to say it's bad, but like I felt I felt like there was so much that there needed to be, you know. And I know that they cut a bunch of stuff out. I mean, like obviously, you always do that. But I, I know specifically in this case, there were scenes that were cut out, and I guess I felt like. Again, maybe part of this was just coming down from the hype. And I find that often with things that are really hyped like this, my first watching is not a good – not as positive because of the hype. And then after I've already seen it, well, I think, well, I've already seen it. You know, I don't have to worry about the hype. But I haven't had a chance to rewatch it. So, Well, apparently I live under a rock because the first time I heard uh, that this was even uh, going to be like a hyped thing was last week when I was on the, another Incomparable and <laughs> someone <laughs> mentioned that Neil Gaiman had wrote a Doctor Who episode. And I was like, oh, I should probably watch that. You live in a cave all week? I, who, who, well, I've been under in a, a, a villa in Afghanistan. Um, oh. But uh, – I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I think what Glenn was saying about it kind of feeling like a Christmas episode is right on because, you know, Neil Gaiman writes kind of like fairy tale-esque kind of things. And I, I think that 
that kind of feeling came through in the episode. I think yeah, it had a, it had that same kind of it had more whimsy than you're used to in the sort of uh, mythology episodes of the show that you know are tracing the big plot arc for the season. And um, I mean, I liked it had you know it had the death of the time lords reference. It had the humanity that little bit. I actually had to listen to Matt Smith four times to figure out what he was saying when Amy says to him, "You want to be forgiven, don't you?" And he said, "Don't, don't we, we all?" all? But I yeah. couldn't make it out. It was blurry. Well, I, I have like, trouble with he, – he mumbles a lot. Yeah. And <laughs> we I discussed like, oh. this, I think, in a previous episode. Oh, yeah. And he um, – but I thought uh, – you know, so it had big themes. It had the righteous time lord, you know, uh, righteous time lord. It had I'm a madman with the box. I don't have the box anymore, which is, yep. which is great. So he's left to entirely his own devices. And then he goes all MacGyver. So he builds stuff out of nothing, which we love when the doctor has to – work without having his TARDIS with him, but he has his TARDIS with him. And, um, and then you have Worry and Amy screaming, running down hallways, which is always good, almost falling down pits. Anytime you have characters almost falling down pits, it's a great episode. All right. And also, Jason, Rory you, dies. So yes, check. I know. I was like, I got halfway through. I got I halfway through, and I'm like, oh, they, at least they haven't killed him this time. Oh. I realize that. I didn't remember that. You're so right. I was looking is, is this just going to be a running joke? Is he actually going to die in every episode he didn't Maybe die in the first go, episode of the season can they that go was a two-parter so, yeah he, can go, he died in the second part can they go oh. so far around that it becomes funny again <laughs> i did like that rory you know i'll tell you we've criticized rory in previous episodes i think arthur darville is a, is a perfectly fine actor and yeah, at moments has really yeah he pulls it out at times but this thing about they've actually made a point of he's a nurse and i i actually like the moments where he's actually professional you're like oh he's not just some guy you know amy was like most of the uh, companions the doctor takes are aimless people they haven't figured out their way in the world they're not as directed I mean, martha jones maybe notwithstanding she's on track to be a doctor and sort of fell into roaming along with him but there are people who don't know where they're way and he's like he's got a profession he's a nurse he does his job damn well and when they actually need medical help he's there and i actually like the fact that that rory you know he could he went and he turned off the shields he was the telepathic interface you know all the things that actually he's the pretty one he's the yes. pretty one I, ag- I agree with glenn i really i mean i think I think he hasn't even given a, like a fair shake, basically, and I and I think it was nice to see him get much more stuff to do in this episode. I, and I feel I like, like he's a I feel like he's a good character who is then misused as a plot device. I mean, I, I really I, and that's where the deaths come in. I think that <laughs> although you know what you know what there was a nice touch in this episode. I thought was in that that scene where they have to telepathically unlock the door to the control room yes. and she, and Amy thinks about what these you know those those words mean to her right and the scene what is it joy where she yeah, pictures delight, her, delight yeah delight she pictures her wedding right which is i thought was a nice touch it was yes. not because it's one of those things that it was a subtle reinforcement of their relationship and we've seen a lot of like blatant Unsubtle. reinforcement Right. And so it was nice to see that like, oh, that's that's the way it should be. Right. Like that's the relationship we want to root for is the one that's that's sort of, you know, that's solid. And they keep building a bigger wedge for us too as time goes on. It's like now Amy's already, you know, sort of over the doctor. You're not always sure, but we're getting further and further away from that. And now it's like she's like, oh. Oh, you're in love with a TARDIS and you always have been. And of course, she's always with you. And now she's been personified. So that wedge gets even broader. There's no, like less and less of a romantic thing um, over time. Yeah. Three people in a TARDIS is one too many. <laughs> it's probably That's true. That's a good rule of thumb. That's probably what I true. I mean, there was also some, there was some great dialogue, especially. I thought the interactions between uh, the Doctor and the TARDIS were, for the most part, that, that was the part I enjoyed. I yeah, felt so- like the... The plot I didn't pay much attention to in some ways. 
well, there's a menace. They need they, to stop it. They even they even admit that the, the root of this story is just what if the TARDIS were personified, and that's what this episode is. It's the Doctor gets the one chance to interact with the TARDIS and actually talk with her. Yeah, I thought it had a bit of a comic book feel from that standpoint. Is I haven't read a lot of the Doctor Who comics. I think they're sort of thin, but uh, the ones I've read are a little more like this. There are a lot of what-if things that are hard to do on screen. I understand the radio plays are a bit like that as well, where it's things that like it would cost such a fortune to do the S, the, this uh, uh, S, a CGI for it, so they can't do it. Um, and they tend to, you know, so they have stories that play out in the comic books. And same thing here, like there are aspects of this that that they figured out a way to do this without it being expensive, but being well, interesting in the same kind of what if scenario. Apparently it's quite, it was quite expensive, which is why it was this <laughs> season instead of last. They ran out of money last year. Oh, that's I, funny. And, and you've got a, uh, uh, Neil Gaiman talking about all the scenes they cut on the special yeah. things, special features. But yeah. I'm wondering, that's why I say it did feel like a spectacular that they'd pulled off. I mean, I think it had a, I think it had a good through line. I think it had some good, like B and C plots to it. I thought it was, very, very Neil Gaiman-ish without violating the canon of the universe, but it wasn't... Well, uh, and more to that point, it, it makes deliberate... I was reading the Wikipedia article afterwards, and there's a lot of stuff I didn't get, but there are apparently a lot of direct references into that, into past, you know, third, fourth Doctor stories, oh. in terms of things like getting rid of the rooms in the TARDIS in order to yep, provide was, extra thrust. Those yes. are all references. I mean, like I really... I mean, Castro Valva, yeah. Yeah, I liked the, the, the overt... I loved seeing the old control room archives oh, from the ninth and tenth actor I, that gave me a brief pang of like oh and they kept, kept that they had to keep that they had to keep that set. standing for for more than a year it's at the doctor who experience now in london i thought i saw oh, it but, right. but they I kept they it, blown up. it up no they 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 blew up little parts of it actually you can see at the doctor who the experience archive. Archive. that it's that it's scorched a little bit from the okay. pyrotechnics of of david Tennant's regeneration but they left it standing for like a year because they knew they were going to use it in that episode and it got delayed so they kept it standing <laughs> until they shot that scene in this episode and then they finally could take it down uh but it was a really cool uh, you know kind of moment to see amy and rory run in and it's like hey that's the old control room what um, is this place yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was good. So, so what did you think of Saran Jones as Idris? Who you know, but the personification of the TARDIS. I thought she was kind of appropriately batty and trying to figure out what it like. I, I liked. I, I like the touch that the idea is the TARDIS is eternal. It lives everywhere in time and space, and so doesn't know how to react when it's suddenly living time linearly because it knows everything that's going to happen and everything that has happened, and it's trying to just get a grasp on what it's like to be one of these people walking around. Yeah, I thought she did a great job and she held her own. You know, that was, and that's the important thing, right? The TARDIS, as Glenn was saying, like the TARDIS is the doctor's constant companion, right? And in that way, his, his sort of original, his partner. And they, it needs to be a symbiotic, equal, like give equal, and take relationship. Yes. And she, so she stole she held him. Her own. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So, great, which makes it clear. Line. Not only is that funny that you know, no, no, I told, I stole a Time Lord and escaped, which is the just the reverse <laughs> of this entire series mythos. But it also puts them on equal footing, or or puts her one up on him. Um, but that means you know you can't take her as being anything less than the Doctor's match. Well, I love, and I, I guess I don't know. There are lots of great little dialogue bits, but my favorite possibly was about the the the, uh, the door. You never read the instructions on the door. It says pull. What, it what do you do every time you push? It's supposed to open outwards. Yeah, that was that was really funny. Although I believe that that is about the panel that's got the phone in it, not the whole door. But you know, it was t- too funny to. Nitpick. Well, it was amusing also because I <laughs> noted it earlier in the episode because they showed a, a shot. Of oh, they the, linger on the, it. 
Right, and I was like, good. Oh, so I was wondering they, about they that. opened it the wrong day. I was I was thinking the exact same thing. It's funny they opened it the wrong way, and then they mentioned it. I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, I thought she did. I thought she did a lovely job of having. Um, you know, we have too many fish out of water. There's always the you know, what is this thing you call love? You know, I always kind of hate the android, alien, whatever. And she's like, no, she just had a hard time figuring out what now was and verb tenses. But then she got the hang of it and was totally on board. And like, you know, and the, the whole thing where, um, she's she's playing him. She knows she has a limited time with him, and it really felt like this beautiful little. Um, pas de deux between the two of them as opposed to being like she wasn't being portentous she wasn't serious she wasn't larger than life but um, and even that great line she had the uh, you know living things you know you're bigger on the inside <laughs> right that's why that's I great. think that's why I think that would have been a good title is that it isn't right. just it isn't just flip it you think it's going to be and then you realize it does have this extra meaning when she says that I, I thought the one the one place where this episode uh, did kind of fall down and I think and I liked it, but I, I think this has to do with the fact that it's so packed and they had to fit it in the in the time slot and it really was probably more like 60 minutes worth, like you said, like a mm-hmm. Christmas special. Is the stuff on the planet before we get into the act in the TARDIS and, sir, and, and while with Remy and Rory and while the Doctor and Idris are building the kind of replacement TARDIS, the stuff with, with um, Auntie the and Uncle. The people. They and, felt kind of... Like they're there for to advance the plot, and then they literally are just like. Yeah. And there's interesting stuff there, right? That they are patchwork and they're assembled, and they're the, the thralls of of the house. And, and I felt like you you wanted more of that. You wanted to see who they were and why they were this way, and you wanted more of them being kind of dominated and threatened by the house. So that when the house goes into the TARDIS, it's you know it's, it's scarier. It's scarier, and they die, and it's more affecting. And um, you know, like the Ood, I love the Ood, but the Ood was really just sort of like, why not? Let's make it an Ood. It was just there was just not enough. I mean, it was a hat tip, I yeah, mean, but it wasn't. Right. It, there was no point. You're right. It it, it didn't matter that it was an Ood. It, it, I felt like the stakes could have been upped a little bit more. Other, and other I, than to give him that one line about another Ood, I couldn't save. Right, but what are you going to cut? <laughs> right, I mean, that's sort of how I felt. Is that this was obviously the stuff that they would you would need to cut because you can't cut all this other stuff. But it did suffer, I think, because we didn't get enough of that time with those characters. Uh, the first scene is really quite remarkable, especially in a show um, that is for children. Cause the first scene is essentially these two people leading a third person and, who says, Oh, I guess it, so it's me. And they're like, yeah, it's going to be you. And what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill you and stick somebody else inside your body. And she's like, mm-hmm. I'm scared. Well, I would be, it's going to hurt like hell. And then bang, she's dead. I mean, wow. What, what it, That's just brutal. dark. Dark. Yeah, although isn't it implied that I don't know why she has a name and the other three have character or have attributes, but um, it seems to be implied that they've done this so many times before that uh, you know maybe there's not much of a person in there. I don't know that maybe the leavening factor later. I don't know. I, don't I was know. a little. I was a little sad that the. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you want to call it red herring or whatever. I mean, and it made sense the Time Lord uh, angle with the mail and every getting him getting mail and everything. I, although it was not entirely. I mean, I guess the the house sent that that last message to try and entice him there, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it was cool. As someone who has not watched a lot of the prior, like the non modern Doctor Who, um, you always feel like you you lack a little bit in not having uh, seen all the you know the other Time Lords, in, except for you know the Master, except for the Master, yeah, and it's, then a little bit of the Time Lord Council. And it was cool to have him mention like <laughs> I know, but like it was cool to hear about like he's like oh the Corsair the Cor- that was great. And I was like, "Oh wow, that sounds cool! Like, well, I want to, I want to know more about that guy." 
Yeah, sorry, yeah. he's dead. Yeah, but it, it's like you know they got a he's got you a get to see his arm, the corsair, the master. You do get to see his arm <laughs> and guest starring the arm of the corsair. The arm of the corsair. No, but that was good. And actually, that that is a uh, apparently. I I saw this episode once and I can't I have no recollection of it all. But Patrick Troughton's last episode in 1969, the War Games. Um, there's a scene where the Doctor, I believe, puts a message. He has to summon the Time Lords and he puts a message in a cube and sends it off. And Neil Gaiman oh. said, "Oh, I want to do. I want to use that. That we haven't seen that since 1969." And I always thought that was cool. So that's what those cubes are. Is actually a reference to Doctor Who from. You know, forty plus years ago, which is pretty. Well, is a giant Doctor. He's Who a huge nerd. Doctor Who geek. Yeah, <laughs> I can believe. It. Also, there's the um, the tele the telepathic thing, which they use at times. Seems like it was used quite a bit um, this time. I thought the way I just I love the fact that it's like what's going on. It's like I'm getting some kind of message, and it's painful. Like I, you know, there's sort of this beauty of um, uh, in the previous seasons when, well, actually, including this one, when they've had to use a, a time. Uh, what do they call it? It's a uh, it's like a TARDIS on the wrist thing. It's a, a teleportation. The, the time vortex? Or yeah. The, which is time vortex manipulator. manipulator. Vortex yeah, vortex manipulator. And it's jackass. painful to use it. It really – it doesn't feel good to use it. And I love the fact that like there's these things like it's this hack together technology or, or it's painful to receive the telepathic message from the TARDIS. not just like, oh, it's this ethereal, wonderful state. It's like, no, ow. Oh, okay. Crimson, 11 – Delight, and then that great uh, word that I can't remember. It must be a real word because Neil Gaiman used it, but perhaps not. Pericle, pericle. Yeah, I don't know. It was, was um, good. you know, running around in corridors. It's it's Doctor Who, right? It was a little bit silly, but at the same time, I like that they were in the TARDIS and they're yeah. and they're, and it's you get the it looks very retro. It wouldn't normally be, you know, quite that way but because the house is running things he's basically just making him run around and entertain him. But it was cool to see them. Uh, to he totally missed that. an opportunity to say menacingly. Michael Sheen missed an opportunity to menacingly say, and the house always wins. You know? Uh, <laughs> yes, and then he could have said always bet on black. And yeah. <laughs> Wesley Snipes would have what? showed up. And, ah, it's gone mad. Scott, did Great you like voice. it? Did I like it? Yes. Yeah. I, did, I did have one problem with it. Well, I had two problems with it, both of which are uh, not important, but I'll bring them up because that's the kind of person I am. Uh, so, you know, the doctor gets this message and they're like, ooh, we have to go outside the universe. And the doctor's like, I've never been outside the universe. And everyone's like, oh, how do we get there? And he's like, oh, it's really hard. And two seconds later, they're outside the universe. Yeah. Not so hard. Uh, and the other thing is that they made this big deal about the doctor's like, oh, I can finally talk to the TARDIS. And yet the TARDIS can send telepathic messages to Rory. And how hard is it? The computer in Star Trek can talk. How hard is it to hook up something in the TARDIS that can let the TARDIS talk? Well, I think talk? there was dialogue it's about that. dimensional being. Well, yeah. I mean, Spacey Wacy stuff. I think Amy said, said uh, you know, you, why, don't, why doesn't the TARDIS just talk to you? And, and there was an answer. And it was something like that. Well, it, it, you know, it's an, it is. It's eternal. And it just doesn't work that way. And it, it wouldn't understand. And it, it doesn't. I mean, it was it was explaining it away, but I appreciate that they that they did well, explain yes, it away. And, they, and, he, and then he tries to explain it, and then they clearly don't get it. So he says it's spacey wacy stuff. Yeah. Now, actually, one of the things I really liked about the universe stuff, having read, as I mentioned on a, a recent podcast, I, I read these books, you know, by, by Brian Green about uh, parallel universes and about uh, string theory, and he he tries very hard to explain these incredibly crazy complex you know eleven dimensional universes and curled up dimensions by using metaphors and and you get you get the distinct sense that that 
the metaphor is not really right, but it's the cl- as close as he can get for my puny brain to comprehend. And so right. I love that in 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 we've seen it twice this season. Yeah. I think where the doctor Except it's not like that at all. He says if if it helps, then great. But it's really actually not like that. There was you know, a, there was an XKCD strip like last week that had the same joke about. Gravity's like a you know like a rubber sheet where you put something in. Well, what's pulling things down if there's no gravity? It's not like that at all. But you, you wouldn't yeah. understand otherwise. Yeah, it's the, a two dimensional representation of a three dimensional universe. Just if you know, just go with it. it. I did think this was the most quantum leap like episode um, in terms of explanation, where the TARDIS is like you know she she's like you never take me where or you don't take me where I'm trying to go, and she says I take you where you need to be. Yes, and um, and I was she's like. Ziggy. I was like, you know, always stopping and never being able to get home, trying to make that last leap home. And I just had that sense of I thought actually the modern series have been a lot more like that, where the doctor sets out to go somewhere, winds up somewhere else or just winds uh, up somewhere. The original random. series was like that, too. I mean, that that was why that was such a beautiful line is that it's always been the case that that the doctor ends up. Right, I mean that's the premise of the show is that he he how does he well, know to be in all of these places and and everything goes a little wonky and he goes to unexpected places and the answer is that the TARDIS is taking him. I I always felt that was the case, right? That that yeah. he goes where he's needed and that's why he goes there. But so having her say, "No, I take you where you need to be," it's just although there's the argument that because everything is uh, interconnected and timey wimely wibbly wobbly that uh, that. There could be the notion the TARDIS takes him to where he was because that's where he already was because he needed to be there at that particular time. If he wasn't, the universe would have been destroyed. Or I or, need you to explain that in my, some sort of a metaphor. Eleven dimensions. It's all very. Uh, it's well, like an think, ant walking on a garden There are plenty of episodes in which he actually goes somewhere, and it happens that when he's there, something terrible happens, or he's the cause of it, such as um, midnight in the right. tenant years right but timey wimey right it's like he needs to go there so that would so that he would be able to do that i don't know i'll I'll also say does this did this remind anyone of the star trek episode with the um souring the milk episode the uh no no well child every time galaxy's child every time you touch Hmm. me you're you touch the ship you're touching me oh because leah brahms is the holodeck of the but she's actually the enterprise computer wow there was yeah it was a much better episode than that i really (laughs) enjoyed that you know like what's my name and so he's calling her sexy that was pretty sweet that was i mean it's funny lots of fun lots of funny stuff right i mean i i you know it it's it could have been it could have been darker. I was actually worried it would be scarier, and it wasn't a scary episode, really. My kids weren't scared. I mean, it was it was or a fun. It's atomized. Uh, oh, you're breathing. In. Yeah. Well, where was he? He was standing over there. Oh. Hmm. Well. Or well, actually, that that's a funny line. Where it's like stay stay out of the way. How will we know where you're landing? Well, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So no, I mean lots of funny stuff, and obviously written by somebody who loves the show, and it, it was a good episode. I feel like, like Dan actually, like on one level, it's hard to judge it having only seen it the one time because because of the hype. It's very hard for me to calibrate sort of where it really ranks because there was so much hype going in, and and honestly, watching it with my kids, I actually had a little bit of a sinking feeling when I started to watch it because I thought, man, you know, how can it live up to all of the hype here? I feel like I need to just kind of let it wash over me and and not not get too excited about it. So I really don't know 
how to ultimately judge it other than to say that I did like it. I thought it was well written. It did feel rushed, but so many of the Moffat episodes, especially these last couple of years, have felt rushed, have felt totally insanely packed, overpacked with stuff. And yeah, I wish this was an hour long episode because I think that they could have used it. But I do think it was beautifully written in many parts and, and was well done. I'm not sure it measures up to some of the best episodes of the new rebooted Doctor Who, though, including yeah. a bunch by Stephen Moffat and a few by Russell Davis, too. There was never any real sense of actual threat. I mean, I think that's it. It's like the house was ominous and it was evil and so forth, but you never felt there was any... The Doctor was not about to learn new truths about himself, per se. I mean, he learned some, well, and he wasn't going to no lose was everything. Die, right? Yeah. Well, nor were they. Nor were they put in. I mean, except Rory. We, we had we had Rory. imaginary Rory torment, right? But it was not like Amy was. Amy and Rory well, were. Like, I believe we call it torment. Uh, I've coined a I, new I don't term. Think we do right? that. No, we don't, no, we don't call, call it that. that. We do now. Sorry, no, it's in the contract. You, you call it that. No, but you know, it wasn't as if they were. They were tortured or something like that they were sort of scared a little bit and they had to run around but that wasn't really the point again it was it was more of a, it was more of a cardiovascular workout i like the That's... idea though what was scary is the idea that some you know another malevolent consciousness has taken over the tardis and is going to fly it around i mean that was that was scary in the sense that you know it, it, it's we've come to know and love the tardis and now there's this bad guy inside her that's bad but he's he's going to the universe but there are no other time lords so the the house is going to die well, anyway, I think the doctor said he'll figure something. He'll find something else to eat. You know, he'll eat a black hole or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's what the nef- the ham. uncle said that or something. But <laughs> he will go to well, the ham planet. Yeah, uh, and Hamlet. we were <laughs> that. That is pure roarment. Um Sorry, <laughs> I apologize. Good one. Uh, and it's going to catch on, Dan. It's totally I forget it. No, I'm just, it's got on. it's I'm got momentum behind it. Oh boy! Uh, now I, you know what? It's over. Time uh, moving on. This podcast um, is real. You realize I can't edit this podcast, so <laughs> I realize I'm sad about. It. Well, and we were left with a brief uh, tidbit relating, presumably, to the uh, to the overarching plot of the season, uh, in that the the TARDIS told Rory something before she uh, became the TARDIS again about a river in a forest. I don't remember, but. <laughs> I'm, it was I'm important, I guess. A, I'm waiting for a the scene only in which... Way out, it wasn't like the only way out of the, the forest. The only water in the forest is in the river or something like that? Is the river. Right. Yeah, well... I mean, you know, what could that possibly mean? We don't know anybody knowing river. I mean, that'd be ridiculous. I'm waiting for the scene where Amy says... Rory, I'm still worried about it. He says, would you shut the hell up about the doctor dying? We all know. we got other things to deal with here, right? They're going to start every episode with her turning to – or Rory's going to say, you're still thinking about it, aren't you? And well, at least they didn't end this episode with the doctor flipping on the switch and <laughs> checking on her quantum I pregnancy. Was, I was yeah. waiting for that to see he that screen. Making, right he was making quantum right – Quantum bunk beds. No, it's gonna, it's gonna jump infinitely the, between one and two bunk beds at the same. They're time. just gonna, they're just gonna go to the the next step, which is it's gonna be flipping and going, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. <laughs> I did like the line about the bunk beds. Bunk beds are cool. It's a bed with a ladder. How do you get better than that? It's your room. Bunk beds are awesome. <laughs> My children will soon discover that. Lucky, if I give them a ladder. <laughs> nope. Oh, so so any other thoughts about about uh, the the uh, what is it the doctor's wife? Uh, it was fun and breezy, which was kind of nice. Yeah, and it was. I liked it to be. I mean, my complaint about the pirate episode is that I felt like they didn't have enough material, and I, I'd rather I'd rather have 
overflowing with material, more material than you can do anything with than than the other. So, you know, as a standalone, it was much, worked much better. Well, that's true. The only problem with the pirate episode was that it was horrible. <laughs> it's a one, <laughs> one, one little flaw. Fatal flaw. They could have just fixed it. I mean, if they just tweaked it just a little bit, it wouldn't have been horrible. Yeah. Well, let's not talk about that. People are angry at, at us for being so down on that episode. So, um, and oh, it's I, all, we'll like everything from now on. No, I, I, honest. So I I watched it on uh, I rented it from iTunes. So I want to, I wonder if anyone else had this problem where they were on the makeshift TARDIS and I couldn't hear anything that they were saying to each other. Is it just my elderly it a, ears? It was tough because they, had some they audio just problems. Yeah, I think they just there's a bad mix on the show. The problem is, and I think maybe part of it is because all of us are Americans. It's it's sometimes hard to figure out what they're saying. That's Uncle, mumbles a bit. Uncle was Welsh, I think. I or think was using a weird accent. I think. it was fascinating. Actually, I think it's if I've discovered if I can't figure out what a UK accent is, it's, it's Welsh. Welsh. <laughs> we'll just call it Welsh. He said it just like Catherine Zeta Jones. So, hmm. have you ever you heard her have actually a very talk? Strange hearing attractive. disorder. <laughs> have you ever heard her talk when she wasn't in character? She talks. You. It does not correspond. It is. Well, they make the show. Dreams. They make the show in Wales, so that's not. Oh. It's not surprising. They actually make the have. show in Catherine Zeta Jones. Oh, she's, she's bigger, bigger on, on the inside. inside. <laughs> oh my. Okay, so next week we have a two-parter um, by Matthew Graham, who was a writer for Life on Mars and mm. its successor, Ashes to Ashes. He also wrote um, a David Tennant episode that was a low-budget, last-minute fill-in episode, I believe, called Fear Her, which was terrible. I couldn't even watch that oh, one. I started to watch yeah. it. It was so bad. I've never. It's the only Doctor Who in that, the modern the series I've ever watched. That was the one with the kids drawing things. Yeah, which Evil was scribble. But they didn't have the money to like do the. I, I think originally they were going to be like animated parts where the Doctor was in a kid's drawing, and then they didn't have the money for it, so they just had like a shadow on a wall and a picture of a Scary drawing. drawing. Yeah, there's a bit uh, where he uses a, the one that I saw was he uses a his sonic screwdriver to knock a piece of drawing out of the air and it was just like yeah, and he ugh. runs he does the olympic torch uh in the london 2012 olympics in that episode bad episode but you know but life on mars was good so uh you know they, i liked ashes to ashes as a I, I watched the entire series i thought it was good i've only seen the first couple of that but so so he's got you know he's he's got That's potential i think he i think it's worth uh not blaming him for fear her everybody's got a bad episode in him but uh two-part episode um looking forward to it actually i think i think it sounds, from what I've Looks heard, creepy. It's kind of dark and creepy, and it's set, I think, in the near future. Um, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's. I'm looking forward to it. So I guess we'll be back in two weeks then to talk about the the two parter as a whole, rather to than, talk about how Rory dies. Maybe he'll die twice. 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 Actually, be I believe this episode is is about. Um, I don't think this is a spoiler. It's it's called. Isn't it called the, the Rebel Flesh? flesh? I think. Rebel I, flesh. I, I think. There, I think there's like the idea here is that there's like cloning involved. So if we're very, very lucky, they'll clone Rory and kill I mean, him twice, or like seven or eight times. Because why not? Why not? It's like buying buying in bulk. Yeah, get Stock a, six, up an extra a six pack of Rory's at Costco. <laughs> I was just at Costco. I picked up a twelve pack of Rory's. You get a pallet, man. I'm, st- <laughs> I'm still hoping. I'm still holding out for the return of Bernard Cribbins, though. I know. I know it's impossible. Maybe I know it's impossible. The anniversary episode, Glenn. I just I want him back. I miss him. I think Wilf he'd be the best. <laughs> right, said Fred. Hmm. On that note, I am going to wrap it up for uh, this Flash incomparable episode. We'll have a regular episode in the next day or so. But thank you for listening to our 
Doctor Who recaps. We'll be back in two weeks. And thank you for recapping and reviewing The uh, Doctor's Wife by Neil Gaiman. Thank you, Scott McNulty. Oh, thank you, Jason. Thank you, Glenn Fleischman. Thank you. And thank you very much, Mr. Dan Mora. It's always a pleasure. Until next time when Rory dies again. But how? Uh, This is Jason Snell for The Incomparable. Thanks for listening.